Welcome back to Friends and Neighbors, an essential industries podcast in which I continue a conversation begun with children's television icon, Fred Rogers, in my PBS documentary, Mr. Rogers and Me. Each week, I talk with friends and neighbors from around the world about how they're endeavoring towards depth and simplicity, despite an often shallow and complex world. I'm Benjamin Wagner, and today, New York International Children's Film Festival Education Director and Practice Wonder founder, Martine McDonald. For a while there, when we were making Mr. Rogers and Me in the late aughts, it felt like a fairly visible project, at least to a certain community of stakeholders, boosters, and fans. Every stop, start, festival submission and rejection was chronicled on our website and social media. Certain voices were real champions. They ratified our ideas by sharing them and gave us courage in the face of uncertainty. Martine McDonald was one of those voices, always present with an insightful comment, thoughtful amplification, or meaningfully audible attaboy, which in the desert of uncertainty that is one's first film, first anything really, can be a meaningful South. And so after years of seeing Martine's thoughtful, positive words on the often otherwise Twitter, I decided to reach out and get to know her a little better. Today, Martine is an advocate for diversity and inclusion based in Los Angeles, California. Her company, Practice Wonder, is dedicated to co-creating and developing diverse children's media with mindfulness and representation of LGBTQ and families of color on screen. She recently began a new role as the education director at the New York International Children's Film Festival. Martine begins at the beginning. I mean, I remember writing you an email 12, 13 years ago. I had seen your trailer and obviously Fred is such an inspiration for me in so many ways. And I have at that time, a childhood lifetime love and now working in film, I was just so interested in what you were doing. So yeah, I think early days, I was like, who are you? What are you doing? What are you up to? Because I'm feeling the same interests. Where'd you grow up and what was that like and Sibs and all that? So I'm in Los Angeles now. I grew up here. I had a stint in San Francisco and went to undergrad in Boulder, Colorado, which I have a great love for, like a second home. And so those are my main places. My mom was a single parent, screenwriter. So I grew up here in the film industry on set, watching people make things. And then was like, oh, I'm going to do something completely different, but full circle, you know. When you were um, a younger person, a little person, was Fred a presence? Was Fred a constant presence? Was your mom, you know, so many times in making the film, we'd hear anyone we talked to. In fact, everyone you talked to who was a parent Mm -hmm. says, well, there were just situations where I needed some help and there was no help. So if I had to put them in front of the television, it was only Fred. Yeah. You know, for me, it's funny. I think Fred was parallel to Sesame Street. I was actually born in New York City. And ah. had opportunity to be on Sesame Street a couple times at five years old. And so what? I know it's like the best thing I've done in my life. Was How'd to that be happen? A- How'd that happen? My mom was working at a, a production company and they had an open casting for some kids. Yeah. So I went to Big Bird's birthday party. The only one he's had, I will say. Um, we went uh, roller skating with all of the puppets and Muppets and, and, and it was really formative. So watching Channel 13, New York. Sesame Street Fred. And I just remember him always being such a warm presence. And then in college, I kind of returned to Fred because I was going to a contemplative Buddhist inspired university and was looking at spirituality and social action. And I was like the only person who was like, we should bring in Fred Rogers. (laughs) (laughs) He hadn't had his resurgence quite yet. yet. 
I'm like you, I think I was probably more Sesame Street electric company. I got rehip to him once I met him in person. And I was like, wait a second. He, the human is exactly in sync with my memory of the show. And yeah. that's weird because usually, I mean, I wonder if you had this experience. Oftentimes the person who is on camera um, behaves differently when they're on camera than when they're off. But when I met Mr. Rogers, when I met Fred, I was like, oh, real deal. Like same dude. I have to say it's such a joy to speak to anyone that knew Fred because I didn't have that opportunity and it was always, you know, a dream. But performativity in general, I think we, especially now, but then as a child, you pick up on who's authentic. Mm. Um, and I was always someone that was looking for people that were able to feel their feelings or whether it was friends or being on sets growing up of like, I wanted to know who people were, what were they really like? So definitely was drawn to that. You called that performity a few minutes ago, which frankly is a word. <laughs> didn't I hear that right? But I've never heard that word before. Performativity. Yeah, I think that that's, we kind of give that so much weight. And when we say that someone's star quality or all these things that popular culture uses for them, we have to remember that that's training and that's mindfulness. Yeah. Of how are you going to resource your creative self and your public self? Friends that are memoirs really work with that a lot of what's the line between who I am and who I'm giving away. And it just seemed like Fred, it sounds like from your experiences and other people I've read, found a way to be fully himself and not feel like it was a compromise, maybe. I don't I don't want to assume, but a lot of what I do is mediating conversations for filmmakers, post and preview screening for film festival curation. So when I'm doing a Q&A, you want to give them a front load of like who this person is, how you can support them. And I feel like I'm drawn to the people who are able to ground in that moment and not get so frenetic that they get lost about who they want to share. It's just as authentic to kind of intentionally say, this is what I'm allowing. This is what I want to give you. As opposed to maybe when someone is a young artist, I've noticed that people don't have boundaries and they're just sort of flailing and 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 feeling like anything anyone asks them, they have to give. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> maybe six months ago, I was doing an online singer-songwriter thing and I had written a song about divorce. And I was like, wow, man, you're 50 years old. And maybe I shouldn't be still talking about my parents' divorce when they were 15 years younger than I am now. Mm -hmm. But it took that long. I still catch myself kind of trying to be like, okay, it's time for that both for you yeah. and for the relationship to mm -hmm. kind of say, that's good now. Or even if it's not, just to kind of be like, that's maybe, I don't know. But, but it's yeah. flirting with some of that stuff. But also, of course, you know this in, in all of your art, artistic life, like that helps so many people be free. Like being able to see your release and surrender to something lets all of us feel like, oh, what's the thing that we're holding on to? What's the story that we haven't quite closed? And as I've gotten older and looked at, you know, what spiritual practice works for me, it's kind of like letting those things be there. And you wrote it and did it when you needed to. So I'm struck already in just hanging out with you in your presence or intentionality, if you will. And I do think these are really real topics to consider. When you're talking about curation, you're helping the festival really think about how does the festival reflect the full breadth of our culture's humanity? If we're reviewing short films for Outfest, which is a festival I've worked with, we'll watch hundreds of shorts and then put together a collage of, you know, I love doing youth-driven, of course, youth-driven projects. So I'll do like the history of the youth gaze, or I'll make up some title and select five or six shorts and then present to the audience, why did I curate it that way? What was my thought process? And when the Q&A happens, pull out the themes that go across all those projects and figure out how the audience is right. something. 
going into film programming was not a plan. It was sort of just this thing that emerged out of loving storytelling. But I find it to be such a transformational space because everything that we have around cultivating culture comes from people that saw a little bit of it first, a little sparkle of someone who hadn't quite made it somewhere. And you get to present that. So I love being a part of the beginning of someone's journey. I'm also struck how powerful screens are. And that that goes both ways, right? So if you're my eight-year-old, that's great when I want you to take a Zoom class because you can't go to school, but it's worrisome when it's, you can't get off Roblox or whatever the thing is, you know? So much of our experiences and now from just cradle to grave are mediated by a screen, right? Yeah, I think the conversation on representation and seeing ourselves and then meeting how you might not have that in your community. I mean, I watched hours of TV a day growing up. That Television was my best friend, um, (laughs) being around art and film and television. But I think a lot of that was because I was trying to see or get at something I felt that I didn't have in my life. And that's what we feel maybe with Fred as a child. But also I was a huge like Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan and all sorts of shows um, that investigated an emotional landscape that I had no access to. So I was trying to design a workshop for something. And I loved um, My Tea on Captain Planet and Deanna Troy on Star Trek and like The Giver. And, and I was like, what do all these characters have in common? They're like yeah. deep <laughs> they are able to feel other people's feelings. And I was Empathy. like, Empathetic. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. 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 So I think we go after characters and things that fit us in a certain way. And that's always been my love of stories in that way. If I turned on TV as a 10 year old, right, I saw Bobby Brady and the Brady Bunch, which mm-hmm. unfortunately was a big after school junk food for us or whatever, right? But I saw me. Like, yes. I got to believe that more often than not, when you tuned into something, mm-hmm. you were like, wait a second, they all look like Benjamin or his sister. I'm really trying to get better at getting inside that. How can you help me understand that experience and Mm -hmm. how you don't just get pissed off or or, or enraged? I mean, see, that's the thing. There's two parts. We definitely need more stories that reflect the world that we live in, in Mm -hmm. every form of diversity and inclusion, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, all sorts of things. I had like sister, sister, and I was obsessed with those Mm -hmm. characters. (laughs) It does get upsetting, you know, when you're younger. And so a lot of what I'm doing now is also consulting on children's television shows, on production companies, projects where they're saying, we want to work on this. We want to have more representation and character and and writing rooms. There isn't enough work behind the scenes quite Mm -hmm. yet. I mean, there's this feeling of we can't find the writers, which that's not true. So <laughs> you need help. You're not looking hard enough. We're in the right places. Yeah. So that's a whole world. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be a part of that conversation. But with Practice Wonder, which is a project that started last year, I'm focusing on how can we find ways to include underrepresented childhoods. And I use plural mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of that phrasing because so many kids of color, kids with disabilities, kids whose family have immigrated. Yeah have so many different life experiences. And I think that American television children's culture doesn't provide enough of a breadth of emotional range in the way that Fred even talked about, you know, Um, so when I'm watching international, I love the New York international children's film festival because they're so great at curating so many different kinds of films and stories and childhood internationally has feelings and grief and hope and exploration. And I think we need more of that in I would say like what we call family programming now, mm-hmm. here. but just stories that represent young people who, who looked like me as a kid and looked like a, a ton of other kids and families that, that are so beautiful. You have always struck me as someone who has a real clear sense of both the power and potency of childhood and the vulnerability and the mm-hmm. sort of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. I wonder 
How do you think you came about that? I had a lot of wonderful privileges in growing up the way I did. I want to start out with that because I think it's it's unusual in having so much access to storytelling and art in, in my mom being a single parent here in Los Angeles and New York. But I also had a really disjointed childhood. So I think I was pretty lonely a lot being the mm-hmm. only kid in certain environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and storytelling and television became a place that I could feel connected. I think you find ways to make belonging for yourself. So fandom culture Mm -hmm. comes from everybody liking a certain thing. And so I got really into, you know, the Spice Girls or whatever it was. Yeah. Early message boards of like, what was your song, you know? But yeah, I grew up here on the West side of LA and kind of just kept to myself. I love painting, art, visual art was always my thing. Tell me a little bit more, if you don't mind about, about mom. Yeah, my mom is very creative. She's a photographer and does visual art and a film director and screenwriter. And she didn't grow up with very much. She's from a very small town in North Carolina and had a challenging childhood. And so becoming someone in the arts was very important to her and was the mm-hmm. thing I think she most imprinted on me, not just in her career, but something that was of great value in my household. I remember being in high school and college and My mom, (laughs) when I came out to her, she sent the cover of a variety magazine in like 2004 of like LGBTQ films. Like she talks to me about the trades and things. I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, Um, that's our language. Cool. That's our language. (laughs) Been talking about film and media is a big part of that. She's a really creative person, and I think has harnessed art as a way to process the world. She worked for Danny Glover when I was growing up, and so watching Danny's work and being on set and watching him fuse his practice of social justice and artistry was such a huge influence in my life. What a a role model. I lived in New York for 25 years up until a couple months ago, whatever year ago. And um, I remember bumping into him at the health food store, like the place where you'd go for organic stuff before anybody had it, you know, Um, 15, (laughs) maybe 20 years ago. And he stood for something and that's pretty unusual. Generally, yeah. but certainly amongst, at least at that era, at uh, that time amongst actors. I think that having people around you that have strong spirits around yeah. what your intention is in the world, I have so many of those. And, you know, anytime there's been a challenging period in life, I, I literally just go back to that. Sure. Like those people decided who they wanted to be. And even if there are challenges, that's what they lead with. And so mm-hmm. I try to go with that. Like, what's my intention? Danny's intention, my mom's artistry. Candace's presence and craft as a teacher, like those people remind me of that kind of heart driven, deeper way that I see with Fred. So that's sort of the common thread in my life. I left Facebook after almost seven years and the plan was always to quote, hang a shingle and consult and so forth. And as I thought through what to name the company, I really wanted it to reflect some of the language you just used. I wanted it to reflect that there had to be some meaning, purpose, emotion. It's more heart than head and so forth. And where I came what I netted out with was essential industries because what is essential is invisible to the eye. And that was one of Fred's favorite quotes, right? It hung Mm -hmm. in his office. But again, that is, I think maybe why we have a camaraderie or a connection Mm -hmm. and and an interest in one another's work, right? Because it's that. How do you think about protecting yours? It's definitely been something I've thought about in pandemic and definitely in our industry. Um, I'm very sensitive to people's energy and connectivity and and their intention for me. And I think for years, I will just share whatever resources I have. If you need to meet someone, if you need to know something, if, if whatever it is. Um, but I want to genuinely know how you are as a person. Like, is your family good? Are you happy? And 
I think there have been periods where there, there's some of that's out of balance and yeah. there can be harm. It can be difficult when you see things. This media can be very transactional. And so it is very much yeah. about that deep presence and pandemic. I think naturally separated out who are the people at the end of the day you feel emotionally safe with and want to check yeah. in on and who checked in on you and what when things are really hard did they allow you grace around and what when things are really hard did you go and apologize and say like hey I kind of did that messy and so the friendships that I've held clear in pandemic have been people that are really artistic but also emotionally intelligent and want me to be my best self and I want them to be their best self so I wouldn't even say it's a protection as much as a curation of can mm. I show up for you fully in a way that makes me feel whole? And can you show up for me in a way that doesn't make me feel commodified or broken apart? Practice Wonder is the name of your company. As I sit and spend time with you, I'm thinking to myself, this woman spends time centering herself and grounding herself and working around specific ideas to try and sharpen them. And that sounds like something you must practice, whether it's meditation or something like that. So it sounds like you're really nicely grounded. <laughs> I try. It's a practice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, to go backwards, to go forwards, Naropa was my influence or introduction to Buddhism. I mean, it's revolutionary in a sense that contemplative education, you know, part of my classwork was taking time to meditate and to wow. have your walking meditation for four years, you know, to have that influence and a glossary of terms, literally they give you to think about it how you can be in your own experience. I think especially if you don't grow up with an environment where you can express your feelings or, or regulate in ways that is found, you know, foundational and wonderful. I think that I didn't appreciate meditation as much when I was there, when I was younger, 18, 19, as I do now. And I grew up, you know, in a spiritual community, but taking things as a practice, of course, eases the perfectionism that we might get, the pressure we might get in society for any number of things, especially creatively. And I'm, you know, I have a necklace now I'm wearing a, that says practice on it. So framing my life as it's not the real show, it's a practice, it's a commitment to continue to return to what I value. That's a daily experience. Chogyam Trumper Rinpoche, uh, founder of Naropa, he had this quote I always loved. He said, the bad news is you're falling through the air, nothing to hold on to, no parachute. The good news is there is no ground. <laughs> I love it. So just whenever I literally feel like I'm flailing, I'll picture that and I'll be like, okay, how willing am I, you know, how able am I to lean into that experience in this moment? I'm not going to hit the ground. I know that it's going to be, you know, whatever my response to life, the relationship, mm. whatever, but here's my invitation. This moment is inviting me to pay attention. I tried to meditate for the first time on Monday. How about that for timing? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. I was sitting in the middle of the Brandywine River and I thought, well, if this isn't a place to try and, you know, in us, and I don't even know much. I just know like I was just trying to keep present in the my breath. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and anytime I started worrying about stuff with which Martine, I worry about a lot. We, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all worry a lot, right? In terms of worry, I think mindfulness or just contemplative life and Friendships that feel wholehearted have helped me with anxiety because I definitely oh, yeah. was an anxious kid and didn't know what to call it, mostly around people that couldn't be with themselves. If people right. can't have space for you because they're so churned up, they're traumatized, they have things, they're being harmful in some way, um, it can cause you to have uh, you know anxiety or be uncomfortable with who you are. And so I think as we get older, if we're lucky, we have healthy relationships that help us and see in film and television and, and books that help us see 
you can be all of yourself, especially yeah. now, I think with this love of memoir and, and nonfiction work and podcasts, we just want to be with people who are fully owning who they are so that we can. That's why I said, I think you're freeing other people by sharing those stories. I had a conversation with another friend, just, just coincidentally, who's in Los Angeles. He's an actor named Joe Smith. And we talked the other day for friends and neighbors and took a call from an insurer in the middle and he got back on and he was frazzled because of how challenging, you know, just for all of us, just a regular yeah. doctor's visit and all the indignities of, well, this yeah. form, that form and the apathy and all the energy around that, which is not life-giving, you know? Yeah. And that's just the one example, right? Life is full of this rigor and friction that is such a conundrum for you to share that insight that other people's churn often has a bearing is literally a, an, an insight or an epiphany for me. Hmm. Like, oh, maybe that's why I'm often so uncomfortable mm -hmm. Like with you. And I assumed this from the outset, but you've only confirmed it. In fact, you've made me step up my game no. in terms of presence <laughs> and engagement, which is to your credit. Um, I actually feel frazzled comparatively, but I feel safe. Mm, and that's yeah. like, that's everything, right? Yeah, that's, that is everything. You're so right. And the people I, I am closest to, and when I'm describing some of the people I've mentioned, I feel safe with them. And that is what it is. You can fully be yourself. I mean, I know intuitively that my music informs my stories, informs how I show up for you, informs how I show up as a consultant. And yes. that my music or Mr. Rogers and me, or how I spend time with my kids, like everything in the forest is the forest, my new favorite line, right? Um, but that I wanted to be in the world in that way, because mm -hmm. I felt like I've been in the world as a portion of my whole me. That must, yeah. does, is that, does that make sense? That completely makes sense. And that's so beautiful. And, and what I think, uh, gosh, the influence and teachers that I have, that's exactly what they're doing. So you're, you're definitely, that's, well, that's I'm how trying. I served you online over these years of yeah. bringing this story, building this braid, you're building this braid of, mm. of and care. And so that makes sense to me. Um, but also what comes to mind is one of my other influences, I've had a very funny winding journey, is Patch Adams. Um, oh. when, I, when I was 18 years old, I met Patch Adams. And that is a formative wow. part of me as well. And so Patch's idea of having a love strategy for your life, it was very formative as well as I went into kind of this contemplative education place. And the community of the School for Designing a Society is... is uh, very dear to him. There's a wonderful creative there, Jeff Glassman. Um, he talks about the depth of the moment. I remember that from like 15 years ago. Mm. Thinking about that you can see when you're creating work, whether it's theater or storytelling or something, that the moment that you're in uh, and the person that we are now, we have all these other selves that are here too. And as I've gotten older, I can appreciate, even I'm going back to Boulder this week, I can like see my younger self and see yeah. like, these are the things you cared about. And those are still true. Yeah. Um, deep in, yeah. they've gotten a little squirrely, but they're also informing what I follow now. And so when I talk about practicing wonder, I think it's a different way of looking at mindfulness because I can just say I'm following my breath and I'm here and I'm present. But wonder lets me know that despite the difficulties of the world, I still have access to appreciate mm -hmm. that which I can't contain or control or, you know, verbalize. Amy Hollingsworth and I talked quite a bit about, first of all, practice. Um, she talked about how critical practice was for her. 
Mary Catherine Basin has this idea of the discontinuous life, that we could say all the things that didn't work out that we tried to do, but the public version that we write the bio for is, you know, innovating this thing. And then we yeah. found this theme and, and how easy it is to want to lean into either one of those. But if practice is your umbrella, which I think is really storytelling and practice is my umbrella. So I do a lot of different kinds of work and I want to show up in the world in a lot of different ways, but I'm most interested in intention, like you said. And I, mm -hmm. so in some ways it's, you know, when I hear or I look at people that I really admire and I'm like, they have this bestseller, they do this or that. Like, yeah. That's wonderful. They just got to channel their practice to that medium for that period. But what's the umbrella? Like what's the umbrella of our life that allows us to bring people with us? And so I think wonder and friendship and community, which are all the things that you curate here, are the things we remember and feel most beautiful. And and that's what I think of when I think of Fred, because I've seen everything, I've read everything there could be about Fred. And I always go back to that interview he did. They said, how did he, how would he like to be remembered? And he said, I want to be someone that had the opportunity to use all of my gifts. Boy, does it feel like a practice and that the more that I feel like I crack it, the less I feel like I've cracked. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the trick. Years ago, I was teaching elementary school in AmeriCorps, a program called Peace First. I did a lot of, in another life, like uh, peace building workshops with kids. And that's like anti-racist picture books and, you know, things of that sort and conflict on the playground. But one of the kids made a thank you card for me after a reading. Mm. And in the back, uh, in the corner, one girl said, thank you for teaching me to care about other people. And I was so proud. I was like, yeah. this is literally all I want. Yeah. If the thing that I gave you, not a subject area, I mean, I, knowledge is wonderful in community, but the thing that you noticed is that you learned how to care. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can do that for the rest of my life and be doing something right. Talk a little bit about story because it's something that's important to both of us. And it's a word that you, we both use a lot. Yeah. How do you think of story? What are some stories you've loved? The ability to enter someone else's life is mm. such a privilege, not only just for seeing yourself, being able to hold space for them, whether it's a documentary or a feature film or episodic. I think of story as this ability to bear witness. Like there's definitely, we can do the three-act structure. We can do yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the heist movie, the hero's journey. I love that. Yay, Joseph Campbell. Like love it so much. Um, <laughs> but I love quirky films that are, you know, coming out of left field that are like, I just want you to, I want to drop you in this experience. If you do that in an audacious way as a director, I will go with you. If yeah. you're like, let, I'm going to let you know I'm making a choice. And you're like, okay, let's see where we're going. And a lot of times when I'm screening films for a festival, it's, I love what you tried. The attempt mm. was amazing. It, I will always cheer every single person and every festival, you know, every programmer, every festival, they want you to win. I think yeah. a lot of filmmakers get so scared there, you know, it's not the industry standard. It's like, they want you to win. So if you haven't filled your form out correctly or something's not right, it's like, we want to try again. We want you to do well. We want you to find your audience and finding your community. So storytelling for me is a way to just, amplify goodness, amplify resilience. If you don't see yourself, if you don't see other ways of living in film, you don't know you can be those things. Mm. If you don't have these amazing novels and poets and people that have given us a chance to say, this was my experience. This is the one I imagined. You don't know you can do it. So I think storytelling at its very root, it allows us to continue to exist. Mm. 
And I'm so grateful for every moment, even moments with strangers. I talk to strangers a lot. <laughs> I think that, especially after pandemic, I'll be like, how are you? What are you yeah. doing? What was your, you know, weekend like? And, um, and the things that people tell you when they don't think you're telling you something. Yeah. I'm really blown away by that. A few weeks ago, I went to an art gallery and uh, the security guard was an older gentleman and he was taking great care to show me how to go into the gallery. And he wanted to tell me about the art told me a lot about it. And he said, by the way, you can't tell anyone I told you this. And I thought he was joking. And he said, no, they fire us if we interpret the artwork. Uh, but I'm here, yeah. I'm here six days a week, eight hours a day. And what else am I going to do but really see? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I was so touched by that, his presence and also the grief of it. Yeah. And it, it completely took me out of the artwork. I was no longer seeing the art. I the bet. experience yeah. was about my connection to this man and what it means to be an elder, a black elder, especially in public space, not able to be yourself fully. Yeah. And I said, you know, sir, are you an artist? You know, he said, no, I'm just a security guard. I said, oh. no, I'm just you're yeah, not to me. He shared this with me. And my favorite experience of the artwork is talking to you. So thank you so much. And yeah. I left, but I haven't gotten over it. I don't know. That's random, but I just. No, it's not. It's not at all. I mean, it is not to me, I should say. Um, I really do. That's the, I get you a thousand percent. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I realized talking to you, how few people, and I just moved here. So, you know, it takes a while to build a community. I've lived in this neighborhood for a year and I've made friends, but I don't know. I haven't, I don't know who's got access to some of this stuff that I'm pretty comfortable with. Like I I went jogging two mornings ago Mm -hmm. I'm wrestling I mean, I'm wrestling with a lot of stuff. That's yeah, 50 yeah. and I'm, it's like a milestone where you weigh and measure mm-hmm. all kinds of things, including, am I living right for the husband yeah. as a father? Am I treating yeah. my body well enough? All that stuff. But I started crying right there in the street. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, how are, how is everybody not just walking around crying? Cause I cry, <laughs> like I get deeply, profoundly moved all Me the too. time. Yes. Part of the reason I'm sharing with you is because I feel safe doing that because I I think we share that. Like yeah. I write things in here that no one sees, not because they're secrets, because I don't think it'll make sense to anybody or they won't think it's a revelation. But when I read, I can just turn to any page and it'll be a big deal, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I found that I was um, I'm with yoga. This is like a half moon pose. And so I looked up half moon pose and it ends up, it's about holding two opposing forces. And I've been wrestling with like this idea yeah. of opposing forces and in, in, in the opposite of mutuality, but instead like holding them both, not saying I'm not this, I, I am that I'm not this, but saying I am both things. And this fucking comes out of nowhere. Like, I just was like, I wonder what I couldn't do the pose. Like I couldn't physically do it. And that made me curious what it was about. So I Googled it. And then I read that and I was like, and I start crying. Yes. I'm a huge crier. We could talk about that forever, Benjamin. (laughs) I can be so moved by how much the universe delivers to us if we pay attention so much so much i'm so with you that's i started crying after that gentleman in the gallery i I went out and started crying and i was like what's going on (laughs) and i think it was just it was my first big i'm in the world i'm vaccinated too it was yeah and i was like whoa life is a lot but i went rock climbing for the first time last week and uh i didn't think i could make it to the top and i did at like 42 feet and then you did I like slipped and I fell and my partner was like, do you want to come down? And I was like, no, mm, no, I want to keep going. I want to stay. But the ability to know that you literally will be held, you're okay. And you can do something that defies your own capacity because the universe allowed 
me to be here at this time. It's life is moving. Life is a lot. Life is a lot when we've made it through. Life is a lot when we're emerging, we're being and becoming at one time. Yeah. In the movie, Bo Lozoff talks about how many people are just missing all this stuff mm-hmm. because they're worried about, in essence, acquiring. And it's a sort of summary, right? Which is, I, I think Fred was re- revolutionary. And what Chris and I were trying to say with that movie in subtext, because if, if it was right out front, no one would have watched it. But like advertising, marketing, big corporations, big pharma, whatever, big farms, all of it conspires to take us away from our center. Yes. And my big thing, and I think you, us as adults, yes, our center and acquiring and consuming, I have a real issue with how we're molding childhood to be about yeah. that. Yeah, I of course. Mean, you don't get to have your own experience, your feelings. You should want to be, I will say certain kids shows right now about teaching yeah. kids to want to be celebrities. Yeah, is totally. concerning to me. I, I want, yeah, so you get that, I know. And When it, you hear that, I, well, I mean, because I walked both sides of it, right? I was at MTV. Like, I mean, I saw fame up close and I wished for it. You know, I wanted to grow up to be a rock star, you know, yeah. because I thought it would make me whole. <laughs> yeah. But of course it won't. The only thing that makes you whole is actually being present in your own life, right? Yeah. Whatever your life is. Whatever you love. I, I yeah. mean, ultimately, I think my big question lately is uh, what are the, ex- what is the edges or the expanse of love? Howard Thurman has this whole beautiful passage about, I want to be more loving in my heart. I want to be more loving. When there's a sharp barb, I want to be loving. And I can look at that, but also I had to look at it from receiving love. I've had some incredible friendships during pandemic and that have been there for me and continued to love me and gift me with their time and generosity. And I had to look at like my fear around receiving that much love mm. um, because we don't live in a culture that says you could, you deserve that or there's yeah. some reason you should be guarded. And so I think celebrity, we know so many public figures that go into so many things because they want to feel full. Yeah. Um, but you love music and I love storytelling and I love childhood and, and expanding what that means. So ultimately it's going to land um, <laughs> and it's going to land and it's going to be the most meaningful thing for us. It's, I mean, I just think we're lucky that we get to continue to reflect and grow and that you can have that jog and cry. And I can talk to the man because we're still here and we get yeah. to continue to engage. We're still falling. We're still falling. How lucky. <laughs> it's it's true. And what I love about we're still falling, how lucky is it does shed light on the sort of that duality and holding two things simultaneously, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty sophisticated and challenging. And something that I, I don't say this to cast aspersion, but generally I don't think our culture is very well trained for it, right? We're pretty binary. Yeah. If you're not a Republican, you know, yeah. you're a Democrat. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, you like the guy or you hated the guy, like mm-hmm. pretty much, which yeah. I, I'm, I'm not uh, endorsing that binary <laughs> sort of approach. I'm just saying like, that seems to be where we are as opposed to, well, let's just pause and dig a little deeper. You know, yeah. let's ask a few more questions. Let's, let's spend a little more time getting uncomfortable. <laughs> and instead, it's the opposite. Yeah, even the opportunity to say when someone's having whatever viral video is happening, when someone's having a huge reaction or a tantrum or something, mindfulness taught me to just look at what's the need. Mm. Like there must be a need there. Yeah. Yeah. Anger is valid. Grief is valid. Sometimes people have other things going on, but that's, I've tried to get to a point when there is conflict to be like, what did I miss? Is there something that I didn't see? And I want to, and, and to say that, and you can say it to people that you have a trusting relationship with, because then you have, you, there's so much more opportunity in conflict than people mm. realize or in grief. 
Help me um, out there. Dig deeper. Share that with me, will you? Yeah. So I think that when we we immediately, our defensive self, our reactive self wants to be like, how dare you? Oh my goodness. Whether it's a partner or call it, that's not true. As opposed to, I don't have to take on what you're telling me, but I can hold space and see you. Mm. And you need me to acknowledge those things you're bringing up, whatever it is. And what is the third side of that? I think that like every, you know, peace builder in history has a, a, a moment where they decide to pick a path to be around justice or be around something that we wouldn't have given your whole life to. I had an amazing professor at Naropa Siddharth Kapoor, and he was a a Gandhian scholar, um, Gandhi King scholar. And Gandhi has this train moment where he's thrown off the train in South Africa. And that's when it made him decide to look at what being a lawyer would do and how he would lead this movement. But it comes from conflict. It comes from grief. It comes from displacement. And whether it's questioning a system or saying this relationship is no longer serving me, but I see what your needs are, whatever it is, there's so much more there than shutting down. Yeah. There's identity-based things. There's things around just human rights and things like that, that we've gotten a little muddled with, I think, as a society. A little. Um, A lot muddled because (laughs) we think those are up for debate. Those aren't. I want to be clear about that. But in terms of emotional well-being, I wish for kids, families, coworkers, colleagues, partners to say, there's a fire here and let's look at it. As opposed to, I'm going to shut the door, I'm going to shut down. And if we don't have, you know, family systems or relationships that allow us to do that, that can be hard. Oh my gosh, Martine. (sighs) You've almost overly stuffed my brain with new ideas and new angles on old ones. Well, I mean, thank you for exploring with me. I think I'm I'm coming back to your question now of what you just said uh, earlier. What is storytelling? Yeah. What came up just then is storytelling is an invitation to to decide what what story do we want to tell. Uh-huh. So many stories are driven by conflict. We we are told that the industry and marketing yeah. and et cetera, we want a story driven by, you know, driven that way. As opposed to can we lead a story? What does it mean to write a story based in wonder? What does it mean to write a story based in discovery? Mm-hmm. And there doesn't need to be, I mean, we might have questions, but questions aren't conflict. Questions are investigations. Yeah. yeah. I want my life to be about bringing that care to more people in every way we can. Me too. I guess that's what Chris and I did. We knew we needed a format of some, I mean, and listen, it's imperfect. I was like, well, I think it's just the hero's quest. We basically get handed a challenge and then we go out and try and learn more. And then we bring it back and share. I love that, that idea of wonder. When I asked about story to you, I thought to myself, all of my favorite stories, nothing happens really, except the person's never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And the transformation of the, the fish out of water, whatever format we make it, it's that there's a sense of my favorite film of the year also is Sound of Metal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the epitome of this is what film's supposed to do. Like at the end of that film, I felt in my body, this is what I get to be present for, for this window into a snapshot, into a feeling. Yeah, it's witnessing I mean, I guess it goes, it's really maybe the through line to our discussion, right? Is the, 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 the upside of the screen or the page, we tend not to charge pages with the same negativity as we do screens, mm-hmm. right? But there's an argument that a, two, a high quality two hour piece of cinema is, you know, yeah. there's no reason to poo-poo that. But, the, but those just little micro transformations where it's always those increments, right? Yeah. The thing that stays with you that lingers is this little discovery, this little twinkle, And you feel it when you read something, when you're watching something, when I hear something, I go, oh, 
And I, I always wonder if that's, is it a mirror because you feel aligned with the thing that you read? Right. Is it connecting to something that you always wanted to know and now you resonate with it? Are we always in this quest of, of resonance? Is it the promise that those glimmers, sparkles, you call it, right? Mm-hmm. Is it the reminder that they're available to us all and always? Yes. And, and for people like me and you, it's a bit of a, maybe a sense memory. Mm-hmm. For others, it may be their only access to that kind of thing. That feeling that you get when you see live performance, like, oh, it sparked something. And now I want to make more of that. I want to feel that. So I feel like we're pretty lucky in the world of storytelling. I never cared much for practice as a kid, mostly because I didn't care much for sports. Of course, practice has a far broader application than just athletics, though I wonder how many other kids value practice of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours was sullied by weekend warrior dad coaches. Last summer, right below Essential Industry headquarters in my backyard, I watched through a haze of sweat and beer as Chris Abad's fingers flew up and down the fretboard and unleashed a sound from my amplifier unlikely to be heard again, at least until he visits again. Because when he was a kid, Chris stayed up late, put in the hours, ran scales, played clams, and generally made everyone within earshot crazy. Now, on any given Saturday night, pure magic. Even there though, practice is positioned in relation to payoff or payout. You know what they say about Carnegie Hall, right? Martine reminds us that true practice is ongoing and never ending. It's a game where the goalposts move and that's what makes the game so fun and interesting and often difficult. Wherever we go, there we are. And we're always almost there. Nothing has helped me understand practice more than yoga. I'm a noob with just a year of daily practice under my belt. Already though, its discipline and benefits are so clear to me. The way repetition can reveal new information about ourselves. The way intention can ground us in our struggles. The way commitment can bolster our resolve. From swimming laps every morning to responding to children's letters in the afternoon and praying for people by name at night, Mr. Rogers understood practice. When we practice, he said, we play with what we know to be true in order to find out more and then use what we've learned in brand new ways. Friends and Neighbors is an essential industries production. Download the podcast on Apple, stream it on Spotify, watch it on Facebook or YouTube, and subscribe to our newsletter on friendsandneighborshow.com. If you're moved or inspired by what we're doing here, please share it with your friends and neighbors. Until next week, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends. Friends.